Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's my pleasure for us to continue worship together by looking at God's Word. Tonight, let's look at what God has to say to us from Exodus chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15. As you turn there, let me set the stage for us a little bit as we jump into this passage. The people of Israel at this time are slaves in the land of Egypt. And even worse than that, Pharaoh has ordered that all of the Hebrew baby boys be killed when they are born. Moses is one of those baby boys, but his parents hid him. But like all little three-month-old boys, he becomes impossible to hide. And so his mother, who loved him, uh, put him in a basket in the river and sent him down the Nile River. There he's rescued by a princess, by Pharaoh's daughter, and he's raised as, uh, as her son in Pharaoh's house. When he grows up, he tries to deliver God's people. He does this by murdering an Egyptian. This does not endear him to the Israelites, and it gets him hated by Pharaoh, and so he flees to the land of Midian. There he marries, has a son, and settles down for the next 40 years. And this is where we meet him, and this is where our text picks up. Please listen to God's word from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The 
the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, please reveal yourself to us now as you revealed yourself to Moses. Speak your word into our hearts by your spirit, we pray, that we might understand and that we might see and that we might give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you knew a boy who was raised by a family of billionaires, graduated from Harvard, then went to Yale Law School and graduated with top honors, and then went to North Dakota and mended fences for the next 40 years, what would you call him? You might call him a failure. If we were to think negatively of Moses at this point, he's a washed up failure just living in the backwoods. If we were to try to put a positive spin on it, he's enjoying the charms of rural life and marrying and settling down. But either way, he's ignoring a problem. He's neglecting that his family are still slaves in the land of Egypt. His brother, his sister are still there. But you see, Moses feels helpless to do anything about it. He's already tried and already failed. It's at this point in the story that God intervenes. God calls Moses to his great life's work and his great ministry. And so as we look at Moses' call today, we will see what it has to tell us about God and about our own ministry. Specifically, as we approach the text today, what I want you to see is that your call to ministry is about who God is, not about who you are. Your call to ministry is about who God is, not about who you are. So I have three points tonight and then a two-part conclusion. But let's look at our first point, that God himself is the, is the one who calls you to ministry. When we pick up our passage, Moses is in the wilderness. It says at the mountain of God. It's, he's seemingly there by accident, but we know that that is not the case. And God reveals himself to him there. God reveals himself in a flame of fire. It says the angel of the Lord is the one who is in the fire and speaks to Moses. Now, the angel of the Lord is a mysterious figure often in the Old Testament. Often he appears in human form. But here he appears as a burning fire that does not consume this bush. Clearly, it is God who is speaking to Moses. Clearly, this is God the Lord who is speaking here. Now, it may be obvious, but Moses is directly called in our passage by God himself. That's fundamental for everything else that we're going to see tonight. Because it matters who is calling him. Consider this. Perhaps your five-year-old little boy says, Daddy, I think you should be an astronaut. Now, that may make you feel loved, and it may make you feel good about how you look in his eyes. But you know that will not help you get to outer space. But if the president calls you on the phone and says, I want you to be an astronaut. I've cleared it with NASA, and I want you to go to outer space. That would make all the difference in the world. Because he has the power and the authority to bring that about. It matters who is calling you. And when God calls you, you must obey. Let's go back for a moment to the verses right before this chapter so that we don't read it in isolation. Let me read Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. 
God remembers his word to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 15, God prophesied to Abraham that his descendants would be slaves in a foreign land. But he also made a promise that he would bring them up out of that land back to the promised land. And so God is remembering his promise and he's acting faithfully on that when he's bringing the Israelites out. You see, Moses' call is motivated here by God's compassion, by God's plan, by God's faithfulness to his promises. Look also at chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Do you hear God's compassion there? Look also at verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God's plan is not just to deliver his people, but he has come down, it says, to do just that. But he also has a good vision for them. He wants to establish them in the promised land. He wants to give them a land that's rich and prosperous, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is God's plan and work. It's not Moses's. And I want to point that out for us to realize that Moses' call is not for Moses to do Moses' work. It's God's call to Moses to do God's work. This is God's plan. This is God's promise he's fulfilling. And he's calling Moses to be a part of that. God doesn't go to Moses saying, help me, Moses, you're my only hope. But he does say, my people have a need. And so, Moses, I want you to be a part of helping with that. Now, at this point, you may be asking, this is great that we're learning all this about Moses' call. But what does that have to do with me? Perhaps if you're not a pastor, perhaps you don't, or a seminarian, you don't feel particularly called by God in a specific way. But I want us to see that this is for all of us. Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks first, and he says that he has been called by an apostle. He has been given a specific direct call by God, as we know from his experience on the Damascus Road. But then he goes on in chapter 1 to speak of God's people as those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Those who are called as saints. All of us have been called by God. All of us have a call from him to do his work and to do his ministry. So I want us to see that even if our call is not as formal as Moses's, after all, no one is called in that specific of a way today. But our call is no less real. Our call is no less a call to serve. Our call may be as simple, and it always is, daily faithfulness. It might look like shepherding and providing for your family. It might look like doing your schoolwork faithfully each day and obeying your mom and dad. It might look like doing the laundry and the dishes and the cooking. All these are very important calls. All of these come from God himself. Because we know that if it's God's work and if it's what God's called you to do, that it's worth doing. You know, when we said that God's call, that Moses' call comes from God himself, we know that God doesn't do worthless things. And so whatever God has called you to do is worthwhile. It's worth doing. And it's a valuable ministry. One way we might could think of this is we don't come to God with our blueprints and say, God, would you go build this or would you pay for this? Instead, he has the blueprints, he has the plan, and he says, I want you to be a part of this. And no matter what role he gives us, whether it's laying bricks or being a foreman, it's just as important and just as crucial for getting the work done. 
beyond the fact that God has called us to his work, I want us to recognize that God has called each of you specifically to that work. You see, God is not an impersonal God. He calls Moses by name. He knows who Moses is. In the lineage he gives us here of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he shows that he's a God of individuals. He even speaks to Moses and said, I am the God of your father. He had a relationship with Moses' father, and he has a relationship now with Moses. We aren't called to be lone Christians. That's not what I'm getting at here. We are called to be a community. In fact, the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob even speak of a community, the Israelites, a people of God. But God knows us and calls us personally. The book of Revelation tells us that every believer's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We often think of the doctrine of election. I want us to take comfort in that, to know the personal nature of that, that God has chosen each one of his elect. He has chosen them individually and personally and called them to be his own. Many of us are familiar with Romans 8, 28, and often would summarize it as God works all things together for good. But listen to the verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do you hear what God calls believers there? Those called according to his purpose. God has a specific person, purpose and a specific plan for each one of you. And God has given you that call individually and personally. God has given you a task and he has or will equip you to do that work. You might need to be patient and persist in it. After all, Moses didn't just go down to Egypt and then the Israelites left, but there were 10 plagues that happened over a period of time before Pharaoh was willing to let the Israelites go. Moses, is, Moses rightly responds to God's call here in this passage by saying, here I am. He's saying, I'm willing to do what you would have me to do. And that's what we should do as well when God calls us. So what is the work that God has given you in this season of life? I can't answer that specifically for you, but it's worth thinking about. But what I can say generally is that God has called each of you to pursue holiness in the love of God. We know that that call is common to all believers, to all saints of God. You know, it's awe-inspiring to see that God has personally called each of us in this way and that your call to ministry is directly given by God. But it can also be intimidating either out of humility, inadequacy, or fear, we can have doubts at this point. Can I actually do what God has called me to do? The answer is yes. Because your ministry is possible because God is with you. And this is our second point. You know, Moses had doubts and insecurities too. Remember, he had already failed. So he asks, uh, so he raises an objection and starts to object, which we know, if you were to continue reading, will go on in the, next, in the rest of the chapter. He continues to say, I'm not your man, God. You see, Moses has a point. He's not able to deliver the Israelites. But Moses is missing the real point. The real point is not who Moses is and his capabilities. The real point is the God who is with him. Listen to God's answer when Moses says, who am I to do that? In verse 12. 
This is God speaking. He said, but I will be with you. I'll just stop there. What matters is that God is with Moses. That is his answer to how Moses is able to do this work. It's only doable because God is with him. Think about a skinny kid coming into ninth grade who doesn't have to fear the bullies if his older brother is captain of the football team. It matters who is with you. That makes all the difference in the world. Now, this is not to say that your history, your abilities are meaningless and don't matter at all. It's not a surprise or it's not uh, random that God calls Moses to this work. God raised Moses up to be this man. He was trained in the court of Pharaoh. He has access to it that no other Israelite would. But we can't evaluate Moses' ability to succeed here based on who he is or by worldly standards. Instead, we have to look at who God is, the God who is with him. So, when you know what you need to do, when you know what God has called you to do, but you have trouble doing it, perhaps you know that you need to show love instead of anger to that child who has gotten muddied for the third time today. Or perhaps you're deciding about a job and you know that you should take the one not based on pay, but on how you can better serve the local church. Or perhaps you know you need to stop dating that girl because she's, she's leading you away from God. When you don't feel able to do the right thing, but you know what God has called you to do, seek the Lord's help in prayer. You can succeed by his help. You do not have to fight these battles alone. God is with you, and that's what makes all the difference in the world. As we've seen that we are personally called by God for his plan and that God is with us in the work he has called us to do, this still begs the question, but who is this God? Is he able to accomplish his plan and stick with me? Unless we can depend on God, there's not much assurance or hope or confidence from what we've said so far. So let's look at our final point, that your ministry is possible because of who God is. So who is this God? The significance of this question is part of why Moses asks in our text what God's name is, what name he should give to the Israelites. Because you see, a name isn't just a label. It's representative of the thing itself. It's representative of the identity of it. Think of the name Adam. That's not just a convenient verbal uh, description that helps us separate him from Eve. But Adam is the first man. The name Adam is going to bring up many connotations in your mind because we know Adam named the animal. Adam is the one who fell. His name gives an identity. It's more than just a label, but it represents who he is. And so when God answers Moses by giving him his name, he's revealing something about himself. He's revealing the character of God. He actually gives two answers if we look at verse 14 and at verse 15. And we'll look at each of those in turn. In verse 14, God answers by saying, I am who I am. Now, this is a somewhat cryptic statement, and you could even more literally translate it, I be who I be. But that doesn't clarify things too much. But I want you to listen at this point. When we learn about God, it's not just some academic exercise. This isn't just like sitting in a classroom and learning about math or history. The God who created you is revealing himself to you. 
Think about how this was delivered. God is speaking to Moses from a burning bush. That's not our everyday experience, but that's how God reveals himself to us. The first thing that we can learn about God from his name is that he is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. Descartes once said, I think, therefore I am. And by that, he meant that at that moment, he existed. But when God says, I am, he means something much bigger. He means that I have always been and I always will be. As it says in the book of Revelation, God is the one who is and who was and who is to come. God is what we might say is self-existent. Theologians use the term aseity. Now, I know neither of those terms are probably ones we use every day. I certainly don't. But what these show us is that God doesn't depend on anything else. God doesn't get hungry, thirsty, or tired. He doesn't need us either. You know, this passage is about Moses' call to ministry. But God says that he is the deliverer who comes down to deliver the Israelites. This isn't to say our contributions are meaningless and don't matter. God works through means, and so he calls us to strive and to do the work that he has given us. But God uses us not because he has to, but because he delights to do so. Think about what Jesus says in the parable of the talents to those at the end um, when they are given account. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. God delights in those who are faithful to their call, faithful to do what he has given them to do. We're given a picture in this passage of what it means to be self-existent. Think back to the burning bush. It's a bush that burns but does not consume. If you have a fire and you heap up a pile of logs, it's only going to burn until those logs are gone. But this fire continues to burn and the bush is not consumed because the fire of God is not dependent on the bush. God is not dependent on anything else. This is so foreign to our existence. We need air to live for even a few minutes. We need food and water to live for just a few days. We're all dependent on sleep and even love for our existence. But God isn't. God isn't like that. He doesn't depend on these things to survive. You know, God's cryptic declaration, I am who I am, also speaks to his transcendence, to the fact that he is above us, and in some ways beyond what we can understand. But at the same time, the fact that he is speaking to Moses, revealing himself to Moses, shows that he comes down and is a God who is knowable. He is a God who speaks to his people and reveals himself so that we can truly know who he is. But that's only the first thing that God reveals about who, uh, what he should be called is I am who I am. The second thing is given in verse 15. Let's read that verse again. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now you're probably aware, but when you see the word Lord in all capitals in your Bible, it's representative of the consonants for the name Yahweh. This seems to be taken from the same verb translated I am in the previous verse. And it's how God identifies himself directly. 
Now, if you're curious about why we have the word Lord instead of Yahweh in the Bible, I'd be happy to talk to you about that afterwards. But when we see this in our Bibles, we should see this as the name of God, Yahweh, the name that he has given to be called by. This is God's personal name. It's how he wants to be known and identified, not just to Moses, he says, but throughout all generations. But there's an interesting thing he does as well with his name here, with the name Yahweh. He adds the lineage of the patriarchs to his name. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I'm thankful that many of you here have the legacy of parents and fathers in the faith who have gone before you. And for those of you who don't, I'm thankful that that legacy can start with you, that your children after you can look back to you and say that God was the God of my father. This is God's everlasting, unchanging name, and it's how he wants to be remembered. There's another thing, though, that we can learn in this passage about God's name, and that's where he gives it. It says at the beginning that Moses is at Horeb, the mountain of God. Another name we could have for that is Sinai, one we're probably more familiar with. Sinai is where later God will give the Ten Commandments to Moses and the people of Israel. It's where he makes his covenant with Moses and with Israel. When Yahweh is here at this mountain disclosing his name to Moses, we know from looking back that God is showing that he is the faithful, covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promise as he did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After all, as we said earlier, God is keeping the promise to Abraham made 400 years earlier when he calls Moses and calls him to deliver his people. This is our God. This is the God we can depend on. This is a God worth following. This is a God we can put confidence in. This God is personal. He has a name, Yahweh, and he knows our names too. As we start to wrap up today, I have two final thoughts. When we started looking at Moses' life to date, we called him a failure. But that's not how Moses is remembered. Moses had failed on his own. But then God spoke to him. God called him to God's work. And when God called him, God used him. And Moses succeeded in that work. And the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. God revealed who he was to Moses. The all-powerful, eternal, independent God revealed himself. He revealed himself as Yahweh, the faithful God who always keeps his covenant promises. But I have to ask you, do you have a disconnect in your life between seeing your ability to do what God has called you to do? Is there something that you know God is calling you to do? but that you still struggle to see whether you can do it. Perhaps it's an evangelistic conversation with a coworker that you know you need to have. Perhaps it's a family member you love that you've been estranged from that you know you need to seek reconciliation with. Perhaps there's somewhere in your life that you know you need to step out in faith. I have to ask, what are you doubting? Are you doubting God's call for your life? Are you doubting your, his plan for you? Are you doubting your usefulness for ministry? Remember that your call to ministry is about who God is, not about who you are. 
remember the God that we serve. Remember the God who has called you to serve him. Remember the God who enables you to serve him. You need not fear to obey when you are called by this God. Now, before I close, I want to look to a place where we receive real, practical, spiritual help at the Lord's table. You see, Yahweh has an even more personal name, the name Jesus. Jesus is famous for his I am statements in the Gospel of John. You're probably familiar with some of these. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus says these things, he's identifying himself with Yahweh, I am. He does this even more explicitly in John 8, 58. Here Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see, Jesus is identifying himself with Yahweh, with the God who was forever, who has had no beginning, and who has no end. Jesus is Yahweh, and he took on humanity to suffer and die so that he can transform sinners. When we come to the Lord's table, God meets with us. This God, Jesus, our God Yahweh, he meets with us in a real spiritual presence in communion. And this covenantal meal shows that our God loves you. It shows that he is uh, giving you real help for the ministry that he has called you to do. Despite your failures, as Moses failed, he loves to take broken things and to make them whole. This is the God we serve. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would give us hearts to depend on you and not ourselves. We thank you, Lord God, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have revealed yourself not only as I am that I am, but even more personally in your Son, who came to us and who died for us. Thank you for your love, your personal love. Thank you that you love us despite our failures. In Jesus' name we pray.